0: Silver Lake is a neighborhood in Los Angeles centered around, not surprisingly, the Silver Lake Reservoir, which stretches three-quarters of a mile from head to toe and is flanked on both sides by steep hills. The hills are very popular with walkers for their challenge and with residents for their privacy and rewarding views. During construction of the reservoir in 1907, the city water department ran into a snag. Workers in the northeast corner of the dig site began to disappear without a trace. But the growing city of Los Angeles needed water, badly. so. What do you do when you have a major waterworks project and workers start to disappear? You round up a posse and root out the problem. I'm in the archives of city historian Bill Robert. You can see it right there. Whoa, wow, it says it right there. By special order of the city of Los Angeles with superintendent of the city water department acting as its agent and proxy... A party of men is hereby to be convened for the express purpose of identifying and neutralizing. Wow, that sounds very advanced. The threat to the 773 million gallon high gravity Silver Lake Reservoir project. Whoa. And it's signed right there by Mr. William Mulholland himself. Yep. So how did it go?
1: Uh, not
0: well, um... Apparently, whatever it was that was causing the disappearances was hunting the men at night, sort of uh, picking them off one by one, so that even though there was this large band of men at the outset, maybe 30 or so, armed to the teeth, of course, by the end of it, when they finally decided, eh, to hell with it, we'll just build around the northeast corner, only 15 or so were left. So they basically gave up? Yep, yep. And that pretty much took care of the problem because after that, very few men disappeared. But you were left with this curious bulge of trees and forest and a small hill at the northeast corner of the reservoir. Which, of course, you can still see today when you look north from the south side of the lake. Yep. Yep. Except that it's fenced off. Probably for good reason. And so our story begins.
2: Okay, um hi. my name is hype um, that's short for Hyperion um, and I grew up in the Silver Lake uh area in the mid to late eighties well I don't not really grew up, but I was here as a kid. Um, I think my first memory of him is the year before he was my teacher i I was in second grade, yeah, um, and it was Halloween, and so our morning routines were that we would be put out on the asphalt, um, you know, like where the basketball court is or whatever, and we would wait there in the mornings, um, for our teachers to come and collect us, and we would have these, uh, morning assemblies, uh, sometimes, you know, once a week, whatever, for holidays, and, um, we were having a big one because it was Halloween. And uh, so we're all out there and, you know, basically we are waiting for the guidelines for the day because we're going to have a big parade and and everything. And, um, you know, so the guidelines are, you know, the typical, you know, no candy before the parade and, you know, please don't attack each other with guns, your fake guns and knives because back then (laughs) we were allowed to come to school with fake guns and knives and stuff and we could wear masks but we they didn't want us wearing them in the class um because teachers needed to know who they were gonna fuss at right um so anyway um uh, the principal uh, who by the way by the way the principal hated Mr. L um in fact I think the principal hated everybody <laughs> um so anyway um she was she was standing up there and she was talking and Suddenly, this person dressed in white, uh, like a white sheet with two eye holes in it, basically a bad excuse for a ghost, uh, starts peeking out from various buildings and running behind them and peeking out again and then the next building and hiding and and the campus was full of bungalows, you know, basically those permanent trailers that, you know, they use for classes because, you know, at the time uh, there was a lot of overcrowding in our district. And, and so as a result, there were a lot of buildings to run and hide behind. And so the principal, she's, uh, she's trying to deliver this very important information she feels, except that, that the kids are totally getting distracted. they're starting to titter and point and talk to one another, and yeah, you know, it was very clear too, that the principal had absolutely no idea that this ghost was running around the buildings and behind her and because she she kept you know she was she was getting more agitated as she kept going, and she would say, "I can wait, I can wait, I can wait here all morning. I can wait and And so just when things would start to settle down after you know she would say something like that this ghost head would pop up again and just get everyone riled up and pointing and whispering all over again. And, uh, you know, finally, after, after a few threats, you know, she threatened to cancel Halloween, uh, the principal gets through her speech and the classes, um, start going to their, to their rooms and the ghost reappears with shopping bags and takes off the sheet, and of course, it's Mr. L, um, and starts handing candy to all of the classes, um, you know, despite the fact that we're not supposed to have the candy right now, but, um, yeah, I just remember hope. I, I remember hoping, um, you know, uh, that I got Mr. L that year, which I did. In fact, I got, I got him, uh, halfway through, through second grade, so that was, that was cool.
1: My name's Titus, but you can call me Mr. Titus. I've been trapping and relocating animals out of Silver Lake for decades. This includes uh, bobcats, mountain lions, coyotes, and bears. Well, well I perform a service for bears, but have never been needed for it yet. most common thing is coyotes, but every ten years or so, there seems to be a flare-up. It's almost like a severe flare-up of animal killings. just gruesome stuff. And... I tell people about it, but no one seems to take my expertise seriously. See, only if you've been around for the long haul can you spot the trends. Anyway, I've had it as my mission to catch whatever's behind those flare-ups and prove these of people wrong.
2: As a foster kid, um, you know, um, as you get older, you... your chances of, of getting adopted shrink. With um each age, each year you age, and you know that's a really cruel thing, I think. No, I know. Um, because with each year that you age, at least for me, really, I mean, i I can't talk about all foster kids, but i can I can talk about my story. And you know, as I was aging, i i um I realized more and more that, you know, I didn't have a family. So for me, naturally what I did, I I fantasized. I, I always had these fantasies about some family coming and taking me away. But um while I was in Mr. L's class, he was my fantasy. Uh he he was uh, there was something really special about him. He just had this way. I looked so forward every day to going to his classes. And, um, yeah, there was just something about him. Uh, He was, like, this mountaineering, survivalist Santa Claus. Only, I mean, he didn't wear a red suit or anything like that. Um, but, but instead he would have, like, these rugged boots on and these thick flannel plaid shirts, um and worn jeans and the jeans looked like really soft and because uh, it was just so worn like worked in and um he drove this big beat up suv and uh he told us that he lived in the mountains and that explained a lot because he was late often <laughs> I mean, um the nearest mountains are like two hours away and so that made sense that he would be late like that um Anyway, he would, he would bring stuff from where he lived. So stuff like uh, animal skulls or, or rattlesnake skins, um, pine cones. And uh, he would just tell us about how these things related to, to life, to you know, um, how, they, how they started out, how they went through life, and how they had gotten into his hands. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now also the 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 thing about his class was that you felt safe. Our school uh sometimes had these lockdowns and so the police would be chasing uh, someone in the area and they would ask the classes to like lock the doors and and to stay in place. And as a student it didn't really do anything to your routine. Uh, well, you know, maybe you couldn't get the bathroom. That was the, that was the thing you couldn't you couldn't leave and um Anyway, our class was in one of those bungalows I was talking about, you know, the the giant trailer thing turned into a classroom. And uh, during one of the lockdowns, uh, the criminal they were chasing was going classroom to classroom, frantically looking through the windows and trying the doors and trying to get in. And we knew this because he had already done this to our door. Um, he tried to get in, and uh, Mr. L, at the time, calmly he said how irritated he was that someone was trying to interrupt his class. And so he moved us all to the um, the reading carpet, and the the teacher's assistant started reading his stories. And uh, while this was going on, uh, Mr. L stood. He just stood at the door, very calmly, looking out the window. And then the criminal came to Mr. L's door a second time. And Mr. L opens the door, which must have startled the guy because uh, the guy freaked out and he just, he couldn't move. And Mr. L grabbed the guy by his shirt and by his pants, swings him over his head and just body slams into the ground. Oh, my God. you know, uh, the guy, the guy just moans and he rolls over. And when he rolls over, all of a sudden he's like lifeless and so. We all thought Mr. L had killed him um, because he, he wasn't moving. But, you know, Mr. L actually didn't kill him. And, you know, the guy, I guess, was was fine. And the police came pretty quick. And, you know, they removed the guy from the classroom. And uh, the way Mr. L explained the whole thing to the class, because we were all super freaked out, of course, by, by all of this, um, he explained it by saying... Um, sometimes people make bad choices, and unfortunately, interrupting Mr. L's class is a very bad choice. So one day, Mr. L just didn't show up, and I thought this was really unusual, because there were two things. One, he was always there. I mean, he may have been late, but he was always there. I mean... We had had him since halfway through second grade, when they decided to merge classes together. I don't know. I think there were budget cuts or something, and so they merged us together. So that was halfway in second grade, and then now we're all the way to fall during third grade. So you know, I don't, I don't think he missed a day in like seven or eight months, and and two, his absence lasted two weeks. I mean, that's a really Long time for a teacher to be missing, especially you know, when you're teaching kids, because for kids, time just passes so slowly. Yeah, you know, there was no explanation. We did not get any explanation as to why he wasn't there, at least the kids didn't. So, um, yeah, you know, the whole thing it really upset me. I was upset, and um I don't know. I mean, this guy was like my dad or something. And he just disappeared. In fact, I was so upset that I couldn't sleep. So on about the fifth or sixth night of that first week that he was out, I started sneaking out at night into the neighborhood, which was no big deal for me. I mean, most nights I I would sleep with the window open anyway. So it was very easy to just climb out into the backyard and head out. And what struck me Walking around the neighborhood in the middle of the night was how still everything was. There were no car sounds, no bird sounds. I mean, it really felt like everything was asleep. And that was particularly true of the reservoir. During the day, um, especially in the afternoon, the wind typically ruffles up the surface of the water. But at night in L.A., the middle of the night, unless there's some storm or, or Santa Ana event, the, the wind is just non-existent. And that creates this uh, situation on the reservoir where uh, when you look west across it to the hill on the other side, you see this giant cookie mound of glowing chocolate chips reflected perfectly in the reservoir. Like it's a mirror and, and it's so peaceful and I discovered this spot at the intersection of Baxter and Apex Street, way up at the top there, and uh, that was a perfect view down to this. So I would just sit up there until my brain kind of uh, quieted down, and I was tired enough to go to sleep. So anyway, eventually Mr. L, he started coming back to class, but he, he wasn't the same, his, his breathing was labored, his energy level was quite low, and he would be out a day or two every few days. You know, whenever someone would ask him if he was okay, he would say that he just didn't want to talk about it. And, you know, I know he was losing weight, and of course, all of this continued to really upset me, but I just handled it. You know, I handled it with my nightly routine of watching the water on the lake. You know, the reservoir. So, it was, um, I was doing this one night. And I saw the oddest thing. It was a full moon. And the reflection of the moon was resting in the lake. And the lake, of course, was very placid. But suddenly I saw this disturbance. Like... Something was swimming across the lake.
1: This head would pop up, disappear for like 10, 15 seconds, and reappear like 10 feet further along, and it kept doing this until it made it to the opposite shore, kind of on the curve near the wreck center.
2: Then it got out, shook itself off like a dog, and hopped the fence. I wasn't afraid, but I was more like, what is this? What, what was that?
1: And the, the the frustrating thing about these sightings is, and really always has been, that wherever I am, they occur on the opposite side of the lake. I put my camera on one side, and it appears on the other. I wait on one side, it appears on the other. It's like there are spies out there helping it. But you want to know the creepiest thing about it? Whatever it is, wherever it goes always returns to the lake with something. It never returns empty-handed.
2: Finally, Mr. L just stopped showing up altogether, and we got this string of substitutes, and um, there was this one that kept showing up over and over. Um, Her name was... Okay, I can't remember her name, but um, she worked at this place um, around here called House of Something... Um, and it had stairs. I remember all she did was complain about these stairs. Uh, she had to go on, uh, up these stairs in order to, to get to to the store. Um, anyway, the class was enchanted by her because she would she would teach us about crystals and healing powers, and she would bring these crystals to class and even give them to us. And in retrospect, they were probably just something smoothed, you know, like smoothed soda bottles or something. But I treasured mine. It was just something to soothe me and to press on and rub whenever times were tough. And I carried it around with me all the time. Um, Wow. Okay. Now that I'm telling you about this, it sounds really kind of crazy because I mean, energies and chakras and crystals are cool and all and and the kids loved it. But if the parents had known or or actually really cared, they probably would have flipped out. And something else I remember about her that probably would have flipped out the parents as well is that she had this crazy, crazy way of controlling the class. Anytime the class would get out of control, you know, talking or fooling around or something, she would lay down dead on the ground, which I thought was brave of her because the floor was never cleaned. It was the filthy, filthy, it was filthy. But anyway, she would be so convincing. You know, that each time the class would fall terribly silent. And she had told us that the only way to wake her was to lay a crystal on her chest. So someone would always have to approach her, lay a crystal on her chest, and she would rise back from the dead to take care of the class. It was so strange. Anyway, I guess the school felt comfortable with her because they decided that it was okay to let her tell us about Mr. L. So one day she tells us that he is very sick and that he is in the hospital. And I knew what that meant because I had lost a brother that way. <sighs> um, at this point, sitting over the lake wasn't really helping me. <laughs> it's almost like... Uh, I didn't need quiet. I needed some sort of chaos or excitement to sort of occupy my anxiety. I had this buzzing that had started in my head, and it would only go away when I was completely consumed by something else. So uh, I became fixated with tracking this creature I had seen and would see every once in a while when I was out, and it was swimming across the lake. It was difficult because it didn't show up consistently. Sometimes it would be when the moon was out. Sometimes the moon wouldn't be out. There was no pattern that I could recognize, at least as an eight-year-old. I could not recognize a pattern. The closest I ever got to it was a windy night, um, one of those just before it rain hits, you know, and you can smell the rain in your nose. And I was was just sort of wandering around the northeast side of the lake, you know, uh, that place where there's kind of a bulge. And um, I was there because I had noticed that's where it seemed to swim back to. It um, must have been about midnight, I guess. And every time a jogger or somebody would go by, I had to hide in the bushes. And, uh, well, I was hiding in the bushes at this point for about 10, 15 minutes or something. And just when I thought it was safe to come back out, there's what I thought was another runner. So I went back into the shrubbery except this time the runner, or what I thought was a runner, stopped right next to me, and it was carrying something. I quickly realized that this was no runner. This was it, and it was carrying something that was still alive, because I could hear it kind of whimpering and crying, and the creature itself looked like some half-hairy humanoid that... Couldn't decide if it wanted to be upright or down on all fours, and it had these silvery eyes, kind of like a cat's when it's dark, and all you can see are these discs staring back at you, and I think it sensed me because it sort of kept sniffing the air like it was trying to determine exactly what was going on. I was paralyzed, you know, I had no idea what to do or what I was supposed to do, Anyway, suddenly, it just howled like a coyote would howl, which explains why no one would think twice about it, because the coyotes howl all the time here. They're always howling, and it literally bounded over me with this dog or whatever it was under its arms, didn't climb the fence, it went under it, and just disappeared, Needless to say, the buzzing in my head stopped for a few days. Eventually, I um, found Mr. L's hospital, and I started visiting him. If you've ever been around someone who's dying, and they're not in a coma or something, um, you know, it's not like the movies. (laughs) A person is often very weak, and you get in a few words or discussions between their sleeping spells. Mr. L was no exception. Uh, Though it's funny, the first time he saw me, he woke up and he looked at me and he he took a moment. I think it took a moment to register. And then he said, am I dead? And I told him, no, it's just me hype. And he asked what I was doing there. And I said, I'm visiting you. Then he asked me if the whole class was here. And when I told him no, he got this sort of relieved look on his face, and he just went back to sleep. But So so I visited him just about every day, and my foster parents, you know, they had no idea. They thought I was doing some after-school activity, and he and I didn't really talk much, but I do remember near the end, you know, he started asking me if I was coming back, and I... Um, I knew that he liked me being there.
1: So we would always climb back into the lake with something like a dog or a deer or a cat. Then it would swim across the lake and disappear into the woods in the northeast corner. And if you remember, back in 1988, around the fall, there were two things going on. Baseball favor and residents were just getting P.O.'d at all the animals going missing. We were on one of those ten-year cycles. So, I was double-timing it, putting in a lot of hours trying to catch this thing. The main problem was, one, no one would believe me, and two, I wasn't about to be arrested again for jumping the fence and going onto the reservoir side. The police have always had a zero-tolerance policy for hopping that fence, so... What did I do? I, I started to inspect the perimeter. Look for clues there. I mean, you couldn't be arrested for walking around the lake. People do it all the time. They do it now, that's what the lake is for. Walking around it. And you know what? Resplendo. I finally found something.
2: I remember the day, you know, very vividly. I went to the hospital to see him. And when I got to his room, the bed was empty. And so I asked the nurse where Mr. L was. And they went to get someone. So I'm standing there waiting and it's like some giant took its fingers and was slowly but steadily squeezing and pushing me down like a thumbtack. And one of the nurses, who looked a little familiar to me, told me he had passed. I didn't cry. I... I didn't say anything. I just said, okay, that's it. Okay. And then the nurse asked me if there was anything she could do for me. And I said, no, and she just left. And that was it. I can remember standing there feeling like the whole thing was unfair. Had he been my real family, it would have gone a different way. I would have been there with him, there would would have been a funeral, there would have been something, but instead there was this callous white hospital hall with just people going about their business. And I remember feeling the same way going home, sitting on the bus and people were getting excited about the baseball game. That was the night that LA won it all, you know, 1988. And people were so excited. I just thought it was so unfair. But that's the weirdest thing, you know? Um, When someone dies, the world just carries on. And that time, everyone was carrying on. And it was the greatest day ever. Which, for some people, it was. Just, you know, not for me. It wasn't great for me. Anyway. Anyway. Needless to say, that night I was definitely not staying in. The buzzing in my head was uh, almost the only thing I was aware of, and it was really intense. So, uh, pretty much as soon as I was put to bed, I was out that window. And this time, for whatever reason, I mean, I know the reason now, but um, I was going to find that creature and I headed to the northeast corner of the lake where I had seen it, where I had had that close encounter. There was a lot of activity in the neighborhood that night, and, um, you know, because people were celebrating, because then L.A. had won. The series was over, and there were fireworks going off everywhere, all illegal, of course, but, you know, it didn't matter.
1: This was my chance. I discovered kind of a ditch under the fence where something had been sneaking in and out on the northeast side of the fence. It was like where the fence had been bent up so something could roll under and scurry off into the brush. And with all the firecrackers and booms, I had perfect
2: cover. It was a mad scene. People out in the streets cheering and yelling, and police were everywhere making sure that things didn't get out of hand, which it was totally getting out of hand. Choppers were circling overhead trying to triangulate where all the firecrackers and the launchers were, whatever those things are called. And Anyway, so... I got to the spot in the fence where something clearly had been going in and out, and I didn't give a shit, you know, I went for it, I rolled under and pushed into the bush, only the bush and the brush and the um, chaparral, they were so thick, I, I, I couldn't really move, and that's when I saw this kind of like, it was a tunnel through the thicket. I had to crawl through the tunnel on my belly, kind of like a GI on, you know, their elbows and their knees. And when I got to the end of the tunnel, there was this clearing. I don't know, maybe like 30 feet by 30 feet, almost like a circle of dirt. And um, it was lit by the moon, but was still difficult to see. And there were these shapes, like large, skinny dogs, you know, concentrated in the center, pacing about As I approached I saw that they were coyotes and they were upset and they were whimpering a bit and you know they didn't seem to mind me but they let me walk through them towards the center of the circle and once I got to the middle of the circle they cleared a bit and there was this human form crunched up in a fetal position. Its breathing was very labored. It had blotches of hair all over it. and Instead of nails, it had long claws. And when I got to its head, it had a gnarled expression that was clearly in agony. Kind of like when someone has a severe stomach ache. And that wasn't even the weirdest part. Because when I got really close to the face, that's when I saw it. It was Mr. L. Except he was transformed into this, uh, this I don't know what it was. And I started yelling, Mr. L, Mr. L, Mr. L, it's you, it's you. You're alive. You!" Are! And one side of his face was in the dirt. But on the other side, he opened his eye a slit. And this yellow cat-like eyeball rolled into view and just looked at me. Then slowly and with a lot of effort Mr. L rolled onto his back. And even though he was this creature, it was clear he was still extremely ill. His ribs were basically a cage with his mangy, sickly skin wrapped around it, and his teeth and fangs seemed like they had lost a good bit of the gum, you know? We looked at each other for a moment. Then he weakly reached his hand into the air, so I grabbed it. Really, all I, I all I could latch onto were these, like, two clawed fingers, and I just held them, and we sat there for a while. Then he whispered, Hype. Thank you. By this time, I was <laughs> I was a blithering mess. I mean, tears and snot were rolling down my face, and I started going on about bringing him home, and he could adopt me, and we could live in the mountains. It's mean, just well, that's just his. It's hysterical, right? It's hilarious now. You know, could you imagine me bringing him into child services? <laughs> he, hey, you know, can you let this thing adopt me? Anyway, um, he just became unresponsive at that point and just sort of slipped off, you know, like I thought he had done a few hours ago. Anyway, um... I don't know why, but I took that crystal that the sub had given me and I laid it on his chest. I guess I was trying to bring him back to life. It didn't do that, but um, right before my very eyes, he transformed back into his human form. And then, of course, all hell broke loose.
1: So finally, I'll make my way into this circle of death. It was it was the most bizarre scene I had ever witnessed, like some sort of animal ritual. These coyotes had encircled this poor little girl, and next to the girl was this naked dead man just laying there. God knows what had gone on before I got there. Anyway, as soon as the coyotes saw me, it was like they knew me, and they attacked. I got, I got two of them pulling at my right ankle. Three of them jumping up at my neck, and I'm desperately trying to fend the rest off with my heavy-duty flashlight. And just when I think Mother Nature has me by the balls, boom! The canopy above explodes in a shower of sparks. One of the fireworks had landed into the trees above. All the coyotes scattered. The little girl disappeared. In fact, I never did see her again. And I was sort of, sort of deaf and blinded for a moment, stunned really. When I regained my bearings, there was a helicopter searchlight shining into the clearing, and I was just there with this this naked dead man, the thicket ablaze, and wondering how the hell I was going to explain my way out of this one. Of course, afterwards, no one believed my story, and the local papers had a field day. One of them claimed it was some sort of lover's quarrel that had gotten badly out of hand, and No one cared one lit that there was some sort of creature out there. Still is to this day.
2: Yeah, there was some sort of explosion. I just booked it and went home. I never went back there again. And pretty soon after that, I was sent to another foster home, so it didn't really matter anyway.
0: Hype spent the remainder of her years up until 18 in and out of different foster homes. Today she works as an immigration attorney, mostly representing children, and she lives in Silver Lake. When asked if she believes werewolf like creatures would ever return to Silver Lake, she says no, but that she does make sure her pets are never unattended in the backyard, especially at night, and especially when the animal killings flare up, as they do every so often. As for mister Tethys, the police report said he had been found trespassing, again, within the confines of the reservoir. He was slapped with a felony this time and told, again, never to return. Since then, he has returned and services neighbors in Silver Lake who need natural predators relocated. As for the fire and Mr. L., an unidentified homeless person who had died of natural causes was listed at the scene. And, indeed, the fire had been caused by an errant firework. There was no record, however, of a little girl ever having been there. The school system did record the death of a Mr. Lalantos around the time Hype had reported but there were no coroner's records indicating that such an individual had died in the city or the surrounding mountain communities.